Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Nick Bumstead on the show of Find Eat Drink. Hello, sir. Hi there. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. So these days you do a, a website and, a, and a, an app for mobile phones that's based around uh, drinks and eats and where to find them and recommendations from people who know. But uh, tell me about the Nick Bumstead. I mean, before you got involved with that, you were you grew up in England. I did. I uh, left. Uh, well, grew up in uh, England in London and uh, moved northwest of London and moved to the U.S. in 1985 and went to high school just outside of D.C. Oh, okay, D.C. What was that like? Um, terrible. Dangerous? <laughs> terrible. No, yeah. I mean, Northern Virginia, Maryland was, was great. It's a great suburb. Um, just uh, the first four years at, uh, at the, you know, they always say it's two countries separated by a common language, and it, uh, it, it pretty much is, uh, it was a Pretty much culture shock. Were you the only like kind of expatriate English kid yeah. there? So yeah. you were I went frequently a, made fun of for your pronunciations a, exactly. and stuff when you're asking for the loo. <laughs> exactly. Do we take exactly. the underground? <laughs> no, we don't exactly. take the underground. Like so stuff the, like that right. comes up. The accent, yeah. the accent doesn't change, but the um, how you phrase things as a kid, you change it pretty quickly. Um, I've kept my accent a little bit depending on you know who you talk to. You know, in the in the great. Uh, the great lost Jancis Robinson interview that I did where we, I talked to Jancis and we erased it or whatever happened to it. But so I, I was like, so you were around when that was going down and she was like, no, it's more when it was going up. And it was like a, it was just a terminology thing, you know, it like, it provided a moment of pause. You you say so many things and people just give you that blank. I have no idea what you just said. But that happens to me all the time, not even with English people, just in general. <laughs> Usually family. <laughs> They're like, what are you talking you about again? Why do we always engage in this that's, kind of conversation? That's good, though. But if you have that reputation, that's okay to... Well. But at some point, you, you got involved in wine, but it wasn't right away. What did no, you do? I mean, in, wine, was, wine was always around. Um, I think it's a European thing. Um, it was just a drink at the table. Um, and it wasn't anything special. I, mean, I remember that we had a going away party, and there was like box rosé, um, and it was just that was just part of the culture. It was just, and we lived in Brussels for a couple of years, and it's even more part of that culture. You go out for lunch on Sundays, and it's just you know a nice casual meal with some wine on the table. And uh, back then, I was a lab- in England. 
you can get away with having sips of wine as a kid at the table. And literally the first restaurant we went in, went to, I think it was in Georgetown, we went out to dinner and the, the waiter, waiter was like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't feel not like getting so, fired today. Not so much. Yeah, the yeah. 15 year old at the table is not <laughs> right, gonna right. be drinking on my right. watch, so. Uh, so what did you tell that guy? You're like, do you know who I am? <laughs> I know where the loo is. <laughs> you know, it's just like sort that. of a culture shock, but uh, um, you know, it was always around the house, and and my parents were at home. It was you know we drunk. Yeah, it's not like we got crazy drunk, but we'd have wine. You at didn't the table. get schnockered, as well, it were. You know that happened, but <laughs> it was high school. Uh, but uh, and then in college, um, it uh, I went to Cornell, and the the classic class that you take as a junior or senior at Cornell is uh, whether you're in the hotel school or not is the wine program. So um, you're one of the Cornell multitudes. I am. I am. Through. And part of me always wishes I could have gone back and gone through the hotel school, but I'm not sure that would have been, I was an economics major. And uh, so that was, it was fun. And you, everyone on, I think it was on a Friday, everyone would take their little case of in styro, three little glasses, tasting glasses, and they would give us an education and pour you wine. And, uh, I don't remember anything specific standing out. Except just, that they were much nicer it, than that waiter it's, it's, in Georgetown. Exactly. You know, like, and they poured some great they poured some great stuff. I mean I think they got it was a full range of, of around the world and I think they probably based on you know Cornell's reputation and the, the donors, I, I imagine a lot of the wine was donated and Oh I see. People had um, sellers so and they helped out the program. I mean so there were some interesting wines and it was it was great and it wasn't supermarket aisle six. No, it wasn't. No. Yeah. It wasn't huge jugs of <laughs> right. burgundy. Quality, yeah. but the boxes right, stayed at exactly. home. And it was but, funny, uh, yeah. but it was great, and um, and so I left 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 college, and and I think most of the most of the wine I was drinking was was still with dinner out to you know out at, out in restaurants. Um, I think there was always I was I was never the type of person buying the same bottle of wine. I wasn't like I got to have the same case on hand at home. Everything was I would just go and explore and buy different things, and that's that's how I am today. Kind of keep it different things. Just try and, and explore, and some of it's yeah. great, and some of it's, and you find yourself in a, in a path, and that path moves depending on who you talk to and your education, and, and and so I continue to do that, and just find different things to drink. But you were in the, kind of the financial world for a while. I was in consulting, out. It was the tech. I was a uh, for I worked for Accenture for twelve years, and uh, that was a lot of systems development. So I traveled a lot and worked at great companies. <laughs> it was interesting and then not interesting. I worked at AT&T. I worked at MCI. I got to go to Australia. I got to go to uh, Kentucky. Um, and, and after a while, it was just a drag getting up at Monday at 4 o'clock in the morning to go spend five days a week, four days a week somewhere else. Were you that guy sitting at the restaurant that's like, boy, that sommelier looks like he's having a good time. Like <laughs> yeah. that guy that's like, I wish I had your job. My, like, you uh, my, last, uh, my last project that I was really on, it was in Kentucky and it was a tiny project. It was like basically just me. I used to go to different grocery stores, different, different liquor stores, and every week I would pick up a, a different bottle of wine. I actually had glasses that I kept in the, you know, on the, the project. The, the Cornell ones? Like the, no, <laughs> in the, the box. It was, it was yeah. the stemless uh, riddle. Sure, yeah. I, I used those too. Know, just so they could travel. And uh, But I would just try different things. And I, literally I was in the office one Friday and I typed into a computer, Wine Jobs New York, because I was just sick of what I was doing. And there is a website, winejobs.com. Is there really? <laughs> yeah. And they were like, Chamber Street Wine. And I scrolled through and I, I thought about it and I applied for a couple of different positions in various, various different avenues and went down to Chamber Street. Oh, they, I submitted my resume and they called me in. 
I showed up. What was that conversation like? <laughs> it was funny. Well, first of all, I showed oh, up. Oh, you have experience at at and I, sh- I showed up. You know, wearing, we have problems with the phones. Yeah, I was wearing like all business casual, thinking it's an interview. I mean, I right, didn't go to right, full suit right, group, but I'm right. like, fresh, The pocket square fresh, over the chinos. Yeah, and like yeah. slacks and... Did, what kind of shoes did you have? I, I, probably loafers. It was probably like a, yeah, real, with, a real with pair a of penny, shoes. It wasn't quite yeah, yeah. that, but it was... Did uh, you have those tassels? No, you I did not tassels? I can't pull off tassels. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> My dad, however, that's, king of the tassels. That's old school. Uh, but the conversation was funny. I, I talked to Jamie and... Jamie Wolf and James. Yeah, Jamie and, yeah. And, and David Lilly, and both of them in their own different ways sort of said, why do you want to leave your... Reasonably paying jobs <laughs> right, right, right. for yeah. no money, and I was just—I just wanted to change. I was like, "I'll do whatever you want." You know, I really want to learn about wine. And they heard you as saying you just would work for change. Is that yeah, what they heard? I, all they heard was, "Wow, this guy managed large projects." That's <laughs> oh, right, like he could do some organizational <laughs> right. stuff. Because um, that's always been a desire of theirs. Every so often, I hear them talk yeah. about like, "Well, I wonder if someone could just like organize this," you know, and like that kind of stuff. And that was a lot of things I ended up picking up. But I, the, my first six months there, I was just—I mean, I realized how little I knew. I mean, I'd be like, someone would be like, go get a bottle of Clos-Roche Blanche. I'm like, wait, that's white. And they're like, no, that's... A- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that tricked me for a couple of years, too, not a, just you. That's that's, uh, that's a tricky one. Like, like, Blanche. Um, and just learned a ton, um, not just not only from uh, Jamie and David, but uh, it was the time when uh, Seth Hill was there and uh, Nicole Chiani and, and Tim Bowen. And Tim, yeah, yeah, that's and, right. And those guys were just... Great. That was like a whole generation, um, actually. And they have a whole, each of them had their own different style of working with customers. Um, and, you know, Nicole would be really nice and give the person a tour of the whole store and describe every bottle in detail and the history. And, 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 and Seth was more of a details, you know, geeky. Um, and I was just like, that's good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had that last time. Tasty it's, stuff it's, over there. It's good. Um, and I learned learned a ton, but um, I'm talking about. And how did you learn? I mean, how did that come just, around? A lot of it was just listening to those guys and the way um, Nicole and Seth taught customers around the store. They would do that with me. They'd be like, "Oh, you know, take this home tonight. Try this." And I think the first bottle I took home was a fifteen dollar bottle of Montpetit Cunoise or something like that. And they're like, "Look, really, do you see this grape on its own out of the Chateau Neuf du Pape? You know, tell us what you think." And uh, it was just try and, I mean, similar, but on a more advanced, quick scale, try it, talk about it, interact with people, read a little bit. Be a half uh, step ahead of the clientele. Uh, exactly. Basically. Exactly. But, uh, you know, over a course of years, you pick up a yeah. lot. And I got sucked sucked into the, the Jamie Wolf old Piedmont wines pretty quickly and the, the old Austrian wines. I think I, uh, I took a bottle of, I think it was like a 99 Praga down to, when I went to visit my parents and we would sit around had it in like whatever glasses having it with like a fish smoked fish pate and it was amazing i was like i get this yeah i, I love this um did it was it intuitive for you right away that you're like wow old austrian's gonna be good or was it like a big surprise oh well, no i mean I, th- I think i think jamie had he'd given you the heads not up really, it's not like he pushed up pushed this hundred dollar bottle of wine on me but he's like right 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 <laughs> like the hard sell with the employee <laughs> I think I asked about it because it was intriguing, and, and I knew he was bringing in older wines. Um, and I, while working there, I, I, I figured. Did he do a, the shrug on you? Because he does that shrug thing. Like, uh, oh, I don't know, and he kind of looks to the side. 
You know, he does the the roll back to shoulders, look to the side, like, well, I mean, if you're interested in that, and then he, it's it's like a reverse thing. You know what I mean? You're like, oh wait, you're, you're not right. trying to push it on me. Or I guess you, I'll buy it. Right? Or you just go look and see what they see what David and Jamie are drinking. Right? Right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Happened to notice an empty uh, bottle on the uh, back. Well, back then you guys had the the firehouse, so it was right. like the upstairs office. Right. Right. Swank. You could look down and um, and uh, you, both of them. You have to. I found the best way to learn from those guys was to listen to them, either talking to customers or just sort of. I mean, they'll answer. They were always great about answering questions, but it was just sort of a sponge. If you listen, hang around, you tend to absorb. They have some a things to things. say. Oh. About, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, about Muscadet, for example. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it might be. Yeah, I don't know why you want to buy that California wine. There's a Great bottle of Muscadet over there. For well, they did, they what, did what trick people like by putting the California in the front, what, though. Exactly. You know what I mean? It was like some weird, like, you know. Jedi. It was a test. Right? Yeah, the it was. Walks, walks in. It's like, well, you if know? you make it to the Muscadet section in the back, <laughs> right. then I'll talk to you. If then you're half in the, the battle. You know what I mean? It's just walking by. <laughs> it's <true>. the, <laughs> um, but it was a great environment. It was it was fun, and, and they would open things. And if I remember in a couple of summers I was there, um, we'd do tastings, and it would be dead because it's August in you know in Tribeca and there's no one coming into the taste into the store but Jamie would be like well maybe we'll all open up three old Italian wines and at least we'll taste them and we know what they taste like um, so you know we, we got to try Pepe and Emilio Pepe and, and a lot of Piedmont wines and I, I fell in love with old old Piedmont um, and did you end up like going further on that exploration? Or? Um, I still buy. I mean, I was, I was buying a lot of, you know, one of the one of the stacks at home is 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 old Piedmont wine. I, we, I was lucky when I was there. Uh, I ended up helping Jamie with a lot of the. Uh, I would manage spreadsheets and sort pre-arrival wines and who bought what, and I would help him ah, sort, sort through finger on the pulse. Sort through all the cases when they came in, and that was part of the. For me, I love that. I mean, it was two days of hell of checking wines against a spreadsheet, but I'm like, I know what this is. <laughs> I know what it cost. <laughs> Let me get a bottle of that. And I and I loved it. And the insider info. Exactly. Yeah, the <laughs> SEC's been trying to pass rules against the uh, the wine retailers for a long time. But so you would kind of like get first cut at the at the Well actually a lot of times the customers You're not going would, on record as what you're the saying. customers would always have first cut, but I would knew what I knew what was there. And for a while, I was the, we had a we had a great uh, run on uh, like it was a Roanya '93 Barbaresco, and it was like insanely cheap. And I think the whole staff caught on, and we I think I think the staff probably paid and bought most of that wine because it was great. Um, and I, I was I was I was born in '71, so '71's a great vintage in uh, in in Piedmont. So I had a chance to take a couple of those home and just and love it. And Jamie took me on a on a Austria. Uh, it, Italy or it, Austria Piedmont trip, and that's even better. I mean, you see where the wine's grown. You get to meet the wine, the wine producers and the and the and the guys that actually know the wine. And then you sit there and eat pasta in Barbaresco. You know, drink the Barbaresco. It's just it doesn't get better than that. And and it's and I went on the the famous Dresna Loire trip. Oh wow! Okay, um, sure. Which is a which is a different. That's a different style of trip. You travel with with Jamie. It was just sort of two or three of us. You travel to um, the Loire Valley. It's a big group, and it's more of a uh, it's more of a, a, a trip that you learn. You learn a lot, but it's it's less leisurely. I'll say 
but it was both those were great experiences. So you know, you go on the trips with Dresner, and I mean that, that obviously is the epicenter of Dresner retail. So you kind of saw a lot of that going on, kind of at the moment that it was still. Uh, not well known to the general public, right. but was really gaining steam in the industry. Right, so that was 2000. I joined uh, Chamber Street Wines in 2006 and was there a couple of years. And so, yeah, it was um, the first year I was there, the tasting, the big Dresdner public tasting was still in the store. Because um, you could fit it in it, the store. It could as sort opposed of, to having it was to absolute. Go. Right, 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 right. But, and we you know, opened up at the back and, and had, all these, had all these growers and, and pouring their wines and, what is amazing is it's amazing to see the public connect with that. I mean, it's obvious that wine people do because they care about where the wine comes from. That's why they're in, mostly in the business, and that's why they're selling the wine. But it's great to see the connection that the customers have. And there's always a core group of guys that are there, and they have their favorite. But then everyone sort of everyone comes through, and they get it, and they understand the wines, and uh, and it's a it's really interesting to see how popular that became. Did you ever think that Magnums of Muscadet would sell for like $65 and stuff? <laughs> like, dude, it's, did, did it's, you ever like... It's, it's it's funny now to go back to... I mean, the, Mus- the Muscadets are still pretty reasonably priced, but I go back and look at um, some of the Chinon and the, and the Beaujolais and them. The Beaujolais have taken a big, like, big, what? big raise. I mean, 35 like, not, 30? not just for Dresner, for everybody. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's not just Dresner. $35, that's like... Wait, I used to buy that for eighteen. Right, exactly. You know, I mean, exactly. it's like double a lot. It's, it's, and then you're like, "What do you mean I can't get an eighty-nine Muscadet anymore?" You know what I mean? You're like, yeah, "What do you I, mean I can't I, just order that up?" <laughs> what do you mean I can't just walk into the shelf and like order, or pick up a bottle of Auvergne and just take it with me for dinner tonight? Well, know? that I—that's a funny story. I remember we tried that, and I was like, and that was a, my, probably my point of exploration where I was not that far out on the on the weird geeky scale. And I tried that. And I was like, well, you know, if some, someone's looking for a wine that smells like dead funky rat, we've got the wine for them. <laughs> right, 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 right. Funnily, no one ever came in asking for yeah, a wine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dead funky rat or something. But, um, yeah, I mean, that all that stuff was around. And it was just exploration. And I remember picking up a bottle of the Lopez Rosé and asking David, what did he think? And I was like, well, if you like oak, it's a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm taking it home. And I loved that. That I loved. And that was early on in the, the Lopez days when you could buy that. Also another Lopez. cult item that's right. quickly disappeared from shelves right. and things. And I actually a, got scarcity issues. I have, out a, of. I have a stack of those at home that I don't touch because they were back when I could afford it. But It's very clear that I need to get somehow wrangle an invite to the Bumstead household for dinner. <laughs> so, come as, as we talk. Yeah. Oh, the stacks of old Piemonte. I, 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 I do have a... a, a, a uh, I'm, I'm, I like to say I have a nice little vertical of rosé from 90. I think the first bottle I had was 95, so I've still got 95, 97, See, see folks, huh? Who do <laughs> but I'm also a hoarder, so I, I have trouble opening like single bottles that I know I have left. So I've got bits. Right, 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 right. Well, I have that same problem. I'm like, wait, there's only one of those left. <laughs> it's always, it's always that uh, that thing where my wife's like, well, you know, can't we just open up a bottle of wine to cook with? And I'm like, you know, I just need a little, like half a cup. And I'm like, no, yeah. no, we can't well, the, do that. The famous thing at, at, in my apartment is, uh, we don't have any wine. I got to go out and get some. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Because we can't what do you mean? use you know, any would... of this <laughs> stuff. What? Yeah, yeah. What's in that stack of, of boxes. Right, right, right. No, no, no. That's not yeah. drinking. That's, yeah. That's 
No, we're not touching the 61s yet. <laughs> but at some point you decided, you know, hey, retail's cool, but I'm going to do my own website thing. What was that like? Um, that was that was great. I'd, so I met my, my business partner, Robin Doran, and she had worked in uh, food, TV. Uh, she had shows on the food oh, network. Oh, she had? I didn't know that. Um, yeah, yeah. She had, a, she had a show called uh, After Midnight, and she took – she basically went around with chefs – after they got off shift and found out, you know, and did a show around where they ate around New York and Las Vegas and things like that. Well, that has a lot of relevance um, to what you do now because that's. So she had the idea around chefs and we got together and we broadened it to include uh, wine people, bartenders, uh, food purveyors, and just find out where they like to eat and drink around the world. And it's, it's exciting. It's the chef thing has definitely taken off. Um, and I think. For the last few years, you know, butchers have become sort of rock stars, and the bartenders with the with the cocktail scene. I remember when I was at Chamber Street, PDT and Pegu Club sort of just opened, and we would go down there. And uh, Seth and I went to PDT a few times. It sort of geeked out on the cocktails and the um, Jim Bean. Jim, we've interviewed Jim Bean, and he's a great. Yeah, all, the, all, the, yeah. all the people are very generous, as you find with your podcast. People are generous about their time, and they, you have great conversations with people just about asking them about their passions, and they'll tell you what wines they're drinking or what cocktail spirit they just recently found that they love, and how do you how do you find, you know, the, we interviewed the Pouring Ribbons guys, and, and one of them's a chartreuse expert, and I was like, yeah, Troy, Troy Slane. Yeah, so I, I, I asked him, well, how do you know how old a bottle of Chartreuse is? And he gave us the, the lowdown, and there's a number on the label if it's after, like, 1990. So now... Oh, I was hoping he could just kind of look at it. So now... Well, like, it's, from it's, afar. It's, it's, no. I can call it from across <laughs> the room. You know what I mean? Well, you can a little bit, because if it doesn't have that number, then it's of a, it's, it's going to be certain... Like it was one of the whoever imports or distributes now put that on the oh okay okay the, I got you capsule. But there's also like that whole era where they like they kicked the monastery right. out and they exactly. were like somewhere else in exile right. and, and then like, right there's and all this Tarragonia and that stuff. stuff and that and that stuff's impossible to find. And, Is that true? Yeah, well, I think I mean it was only produced for a certain amount of time, so I think that. But oh, so it's um, been been drunk up. Um, but uh, so now everywhere I everywhere I go and when, when we travel. I hop into like random little liquor stores and go, wait, do you have a dusty bottle of chartreuse? Yeah, what's your dustiest <laughs> bottle? Exactly. I want the one in the back. I don't want the freshest one. When I used to collect coins, I would go and ask people at like stores at what for their oldest penny. Like, can you go, can you search through and find the oldest penny? I mean, yeah, I really endeared myself <laughs> to tons of clerks. Like, never let that guy in here again. Exactly. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, well. I remember one time I was like, yeah, I need five cents back. So, you know, you're going to have to search through for the, the oldest penny. And she's like, no, I'm going to give you a nickel and I'm going to say goodbye. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so we've been in, I was up in Syracuse and you just, it's like, is that an old liquor store? And you just go, yeah. and it's like, you know, you leave the car running outside. Because this not, is not something you can search for on Wine Searcher. Um, like, you can't just be like, no, I need your dustiest bottle of chartreuse, like, in the Wine Searcher search box. Right, you have to, exactly. like, do the physical work. Um, I mean, I guess those guys are buying them up from auctions. And I, I, I do it just because it's a cool, geeky thing that I I, I get passionate about. Have you had any scores? Uh, I haven't found I Well, the one score I had, I didn't have to uh, buy it. My my parents in uh, their place in Florida has, have a half bottle of yellow chartreuse that must be... I don't know, at least 40 years old. That's awesome. <laughs> What's it like? It mellows. I mean, the, the mm -hmm. yellow ones are sweeter than the than the green chartreuse. 
and it uh, there's a lot of herbs and, and spices in there, so they they mellow, um, and it becomes more sort of a thrill. And I mean, the first time I had tangent a little bit here. The first time I had sort of old um, liquor was at uh, Capilano when I was in Piedmont. Sure. He's got that whole cupboard of um, or had that. Oh, he opened them up for you because he, he that I, I like of took a picture through the window. Fifties. <laughs> like um, he didn't. Fifties. Uh, Kinato. And I think he poured us a little bit of one of them, but he said it was like 50 years old. And it takes on this light rose, delicate. And I was like, wow. And ever since then, I got back from the trip, bought a bottle of Capilano Kinato and an unopened bottle in a box sitting in the, yeah, probably. Actually, I've asked a couple of people sitting in the closet. I was like, it's okay if it gets a little, it's not as delicate as wine, so it's fine. It, it ages but, well if you treat it nice. You know what I mean? Like so I've I'm, had good experiences with bottles of have seen seller time. I'm waiting for. <laughs> he's actually doing a project now where he's releasing reserve. Like he's uh, aging things for five and ten years, and he's gonna. He hasn't released them yet, but he's gonna age them extra long in the cellar and then release them. That's which very cool. Is cool. That's perfect. That's yeah. great. And um, it'll give people that you know they'll be able to buy into that experience. Um, which is, uh, it's that's that's the thing that it, it, it I find intriguing. I love talking to. Uh, bartenders are getting interviews back or um, sommeliers about what wines they're drinking and what favorite rosés for the summer. And it's like, oh, I haven't heard of that. Let me go get that. Yeah, it seems like that would be a really good way to sort of like... It's fun personally, but I think it's fun experience for us to be able to share that through the website and through the app. Uh, I mean, the app is obviously just where people, where you can find people eating and drinking. And that the website, we sort of share the what wines people are drinking or what tips or what bottles... Um, so how has it grown? Um, we launched the app in January and got some really nice press. And we've got a lot of... Uh, I have it on my phone. Oh, good. Thank you. And have a lot of, uh, we've got a lot of downloads, a lot of, uh, a lot of great response from people. We're trying to expand into different cities. What's uh, the reality of an app? Like in terms of the market, like how long does it take to develop one, and what you know? We found a, a, a great shop in, uh, in Brooklyn, and, and it took us about six months to actually build it and test it and it helped that I had a background in sort of systems development I was probably the most annoying slash easiest client because I would tell them exactly what was wrong with yeah, we got a beta and I'm like yeah this isn't a beta back <laughs> when I worked for this, AT&T this, we did it totally different this doesn't work and uh, so you go through that process and and it's it's been great and and so we've tested the heck out of it, got it out there, and in, in, in the I said in, launched it in January. So what's I mean? And we grow. How the, many people are we talking about in terms of like what's a good release for an app? Like what happens when you release it? Like a thousand people download uh, we, it? Yeah, no, people? I mean you want to a million's great. We're we're in the I think we've we've got like fifty thousand downloads of it right mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. Um, and just more press talking to people, getting it out there, getting the getting the pros who we interviewed to download it. Uh, such as yourself, and and is there someone else here that you're talking to? No. <laughs> oh, you were, oh, sorry. Well, sorry, it takes me a second. Uh, and and just our focus is continue to grow. We want to get the you know a good U.S. base of of sort of the larger cities, and then work on some of the. So you focus small. on like New York, San Francisco, right. but so we've got we were just uh, I mean look we've got I mean the major ones. And we've got a lot of smaller ones like Charleston. We've, we've got a great group of people we interviewed in Charleston, South Carolina, and Portland, Maine. We're about to add. Um, so some of those smaller, 
cities that people actually travel to, it can be really useful. The yeah. other Portland, as it's known. So, well, we have the big, we have the, we have both Portlands actually. So that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting, uh, you know, putting, well, What putting, do you see? Because it seems like you do travel a lot. I mean, what do you see on the ground? Um, in what respect? I mean, what's different between the kind of people you engage with in the different places, or are they not so different? Like in terms of these bartenders and chefs? oh no, they're, they're different. I, I find the um, in the smaller cities, there's a lot of sort of hometown pride. Not that there isn't in New York, but it's just a bigger, different feel. Um, Montreal's an example I like to use because it's a great city. It's a great food city. And people love being from Montreal, and they're proud of being from Montreal. And we just had a, we've had a great couple of experiences going up there, and and the food's just phenomenal. I mean, you go to Joe Beef, and <laughs> they've got a great wine list too. Uh, that they, I met the sommelier recently. She's yeah, she seems very smart. She's she's great. She does a good job, and we actually have a um, contributor who uh, she's sommelier, a wine director, um, Italia. And she works at uh, Lawrence, which is another great restaurant. So she she writes for us, interviews wine people. Oh, okay. Um, so we have some we have some contributors, so that helps us get content. Um, and traveling's traveling's fun because, as you said, you get to see the different vibe of a place. Um, Are there places that would surprise you with their vibe that maybe aren't on everyone's radar? Um, I'm I'm I was Charles. I mentioned Charleston earlier, but that's sort of on everyone's radar. Uh, they've done a good job, I think, because of. Um, Husk and, and and fig and there's a lot of attraction there. Um, loved Vancouver. I'm not sure that's not on everyone's radar, but it's a beautiful city and everyone. I, I loved of the Portland, Seattle, Vancouver. Vancouver's a great. It's sort of a cross between an Asian, North American, British feel to it. Um, it's a weird city. You've got a walking the city. You can be in a fancy neighborhood and then run over like a pack of drug addicts because it's the gateway for heroin <laughs> into the U.S. Oh, it is? I didn't know that. North America. So it's uh, Did you find that out from the chefs you interviewed? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we found it out from walking the streets. You, you're walking down a nice street in a nice evening and you're like, whoa. I, I feel roll, San Francisco can be that way though. I, like you can, if you don't know it, you can easily end up like in the tenderloin or something. Did the exact. Like, wow, look at that. Did the exact These same people thing. don't seem so high end. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, exactly Where do you guys same. get a good Cote de Boeuf? Oh, wait, you guys don't eat Cote de Boeuf right. around here. Do you? When you end up on a street and there's no stores open and a whole bunch of people milling around. Right, with grates are down and like, things like oh. that. And this is like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see any banks here. Should I ask that guy where an ATM is? Oh, probably not. I don't think we're going to yeah. meet at that ramen shop. <laughs> Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever get like a bum tip on like uh, where to go for a ramen? Like the guy's just messing with you? He's like, well, if you want to put your life at risk, this would be a good place to go. No, we fortunately, <laughs> we've, I mean, I, and I like trying the sort of the, the off the, the less obvious. Um, you don't need us to go to La Bernadette's a great sure. restaurant. But people have heard this before. You know, yeah. Per se, it's a pretty, you know, if you want to spend that kind of money, it's a pretty obvious bet. Um, so, yeah, so the 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 ramen shop or the, the we were just down in Chinatown last weekend getting noodles at a place that someone had recommended, and it's that's the fun. Those are the fun places, and we try and explore New York as much as we can. Beyond, it's exciting to go to other cities, but we try and keep that excitement fresh in New York by doing things like that or going out to you know the Franny's in in Brooklyn. I don't get out to very often, but I love that place too. Me too. Um, 
the, the wine. I like places where, and this is my wine background. I think I check the wine list when someone rec when a chef recommends a place. I check the wine list first, and I go, okay, now I want to try that because I like because that that point of view that someone has on the wine list, and I learned that from interviewing Cat uh, Sillery, who you had recommended when we interviewed you. I had a great conversation with her, and I asked her about wine lists, and she's like. I just like it when I know there's a hand behind that wine list and someone has a perspective, a point of view, and it totally hit home for me. And I, I if I look at a wine list and I'm, I can see that it's, you know, one lazy, it, the person's lazy and they're just putting, frankly, crap on the menu, I'm not going to, or I'll go there and drink beer or something. Because um, it tends to carry through. Like if someone right. has a point of view about wine, they probably also have a point of view in the kitchen. And exactly. And it's the whole, the whole restaurant, someone, the person that owns it believes that the wine is as important as the food and therefore the service is as important as the, the whole experience for the customer should be there. Um, just when we were in San Francisco, just ate at uh, La Chichia, mm -hmm, which yeah. a number of people recommended. Yeah. And they're, they're super that, nice. Super nice. Total point of view, it's a Sardinian restaurant. So, I mean, there's other wines on the list. Had We had two great bottles of Sardinian wine that, that Max picked out. Um, the owner, chef, and I guess he was former sommelier, so he knows. Oh, I didn't know that. About. Yeah, um, and it was great. They're opening up another place, I think, like down the street, new like pizza a wine place, bar. I guess. Yeah, yeah. pizza yeah. wine bar. Um, that's exciting, and it's always great to see people that you have a great experience with get success. I mean, it's it's a bummer when you see places close that, like, I wanted that guy to be successful. <laughs> right, 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 right. We don't need another. Dwayne Reed, Chase, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever across the street. They're often a package deal too. Like the Chase and the Dwayne oh, Reed. <laughs> That's the sad thing about seeing streets in New York go through that change. But one of the things that you do is not just engage with wine, but you also engage on the cocktail side. And I think even personally, it seems like you enjoy a good cocktail and right. you follow that pretty closely. Do you see a different culture, or what do you see as the difference between the two? Um, I, th I think the, I think the similar. Passion, obviously, um, at the, I keep on saying the word geeky, but at the sort of the geeky, passionate level, and I mean that in a positive way where you know, I care, like someone like Eric Seed, who's bringing in, he's not a bartender, but he's bringing in all this bottles that have been not lost, but haven't been in the U.S. for a long time. That's, that's exciting, and that gets bartenders, bartenders excited. And I think you can see a similar thing happening their different stages with with food and with the cocktails where people get so excited by ingredients that they put in try and put in 50 ingredients in a cocktail and the thing just gets muddied and i think that they pull back and now bartenders are the, the concept of the sort of four ingredient cocktail is coming back and a lot of the, the people we interview have that focus uh similar to chefs and the it's all about the ingredients if you you know, they basically say, "Don't don't screw up the ingredients." <laughs> you know, my job's make to put the you know a, a positive version of the ingredients on the on the table that the customer's going to love, and that's the same with cocktails. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of guys out there making bad, muddled, not interesting cocktails. But you mean like muddled flavor, not yeah, like they use a muscle. Well, both, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Um, and, and so the the bartenders that know how to put these ingredients together and, and switch some things out and, and and know what they're doing. So I think there's a parallel there uh, between the 
between how chefs are reacting to food and ingredients and getting excited by the ingredients. And there's so much ingredients for cocktails coming in and finding new things like Suze, which is a French um, liqueur is back. And Pierre Ferrand, a couple of years ago, created a new dry curacao that everyone's raving about. And as, as I said, the Eric Seed stuff's really interesting. And then you've got guys that I, one of the guys I met yesterday at the Manhattan Cocktail Classic is finding antique bottles of, of liquor. And he was pouring little tastes of a Manhattan made with 60-year-old crow and an old vermouth. And it's, again, it has those mellow flavors, but people are doing really interesting things. So there's a similarity, I think, between wine and food and the cocktails and for me, it all comes down to the uniqueness and the and the passion behind it and the the people that care about less so I think on the cocktail front because it's on the on the ingredient side because they're um on the liquor front I mean because it's it's distilled um there's obviously got to be a passion, but it's not there's not necessarily a tie back to the earth the same way that there is with wine and food, but it all is ingredients, and it's just how. They get used. Um, Have you seen Unique kind of become the the calling card of talked about successful restaurants of our time? I mean, just having a unique something right. that people need to go there to get um, become has become sort of the the coin of the realm. Right. Unique is is the word that um, that's an authentic. I guess is another word that I think those two become very at least in when I say uh, overused because it, it, but that's the things that, that I think people are looking for. I know that I, that care about where their food comes from and what they're doing. Cause I think, and again, the same thing I said earlier, the point of view, I think if, if you've got a point of view, it's unique and it's authentic and it's your passion. I think that comes through. Obviously it has to be a marketable thing that you're putting forward, but I think that passion comes through. I mean, just look at, um, you know, the Schmorgersberg in, in, in Brooklyn, it's a bunch of small guys with passion around whether it's uh, ricotta, whether it's, you know, making a sandwich. It's, there's, a, there's a passion behind it, and I think that's, that's infectious, and you can look at how well that stuff does. Um, do you get the sense with, like, the development of what you do, which is turning people on to kind of cool, unique, authentic places, just to use those kind of terms, geeky things, um, that when you develop an app for that 50,000 people download it, that it's kind of we've entered the area where we're all foodies now. Like we're, we don't even talk about foodies because everyone is, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I think so. I think there's different, different levels of that. I think there's the, the size or the, 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 the groundswell of who's a food person. I think it's easy to see that in New York and make that statement. Um, I think the, where what people care about their food is is increasing, but I think there's. I don't think we're ever going to become Yelp because I don't. We have no desire to become Yelp and have that level of um, that number of restaurants because we're only going to pick the places that we like. It's all positive. There's no negative. Right, and it's not really a review. It's more right. like a recommendation. It's a recommendation exactly. that you do. It's, it's, yeah, it's a chef review, but it's a recommendation exactly. Um, but I think. Yeah, obviously we couldn't have that many downloads and that might be that popular if if people weren't into or care about where where their next meal comes from. Um, I mean, maybe it's the people we follow, but look at Instagram. There's people, <laughs> people always joke about taking pictures of food, but people actually 
I mean, that's the easy little snipe at the food people, but other food people actually care what other people are eating because it's, it's in, in some way that's a recommendation. It's like, oh, look what I found, and I want to share that with other, peop- other like-minded people. But I think you were the guy who shared with me that that spoof video where the guy takes Instagrams of other people's food. <laughs> like he sneaks up on them. And like, hey, you mind if I take... Which is probably the funniest spoof right. video I saw so I, far this year. You know, you've, I think you've got to be able to laugh at yourself, especially if you're... You know, Robin and I looked at each other and we're like, yep, we're those people. Yeah. It's like the, yeah, yeah, the, right, 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 right. There's a reason there's a picture of food and a lot of those places in the app is because we take those pictures. Um, but then the guy's like... You know, I don't think we have good enough lighting. lighting. Like this dude comes <laughs> over and pulls out the thing to like pull the lighting better. It's like, can you make a gesture? You know, maybe like a hang loose side. Like it's, it's just hilarious. It's really funny. But it's it's that's true. I mean, I always I'm always a little self conscious in in restaurants, and I always joke, you know, let's not make this a three camera shoot for a two person meal because it. <laughs> I'm like, can I eat this? Because it's I want to eat it. It's I. Um, I get excited by the food. I I love a. I love a menu that I feel like I have to order or come back because I want to order the six different things. Um, and it's never, unfortunately for me, it's never that healthy, the food that I order because I was like the deep fried pig's feet or whatever. Do you find a certain sense of responsibility about the health issue? I mean, are are you concerned about that? I mean, because, you know, a lot of restaurant food has a lot of butter or it's fried or it has a lot of pork fat or, you know, I mean, where do, where do you I, draw the line on this? You know, if, if, if you're going out for dinner, um, the food tastes good. There's a reason it tastes good. They're not holding back on the salt and they're not holding back on the butter unless you happen to be going to a healthy vegetarian restaurant. Um, so I think you have to be mindful yourself of what you're eating and why you're eating and what if you eat out seven days a week, whether it's you know a fast food or not fast food, just because you're going to a restaurant doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be healthy just because it costs a lot more money. Um, I think it's the consumer. I think it's. I think it's up to the consumer to be able to decide. Look at a menu. If it, as I said, if it's covered in, in a sauce, you know, if you're getting the fish with the butter lemon sauce on it, <laughs> guess what? There's a reason that sauce holds together, and it's not a puddle of lemon juice. Do, um, do you find that, um, in a way, that like taking pictures of things bespeaks a certain kind of reverence for? what we're about to consume that maybe we haven't had since we used to pray over it, you know, that kind of thing that, that taking that moment to say like, Hey, we're going to do something here. We're going to eat this. You I, know? I think I, I haven't thought about it like that way, but I like, I like that thought because you are at least when we take a picture or when I take a picture of something, it's because I like the look of it and I know it's going to be a good picture. So you're right. There is some level of, and it's capturing that moment because you want to go back. I mean, it's great. I love going back and looking through the pictures of, San Francisco, and there's this woman who's got a new book out, and she's uh, she's the pastry chef at Blue Bottle, and she does cakes that based on uh, artwork in the museum. So there's a famous Mondrian cake, and it looks like a Mondrian artwork, and it's uh, we were taking lots of pictures of it. It's great. The SF MoMA, that yeah. one. You're like upstairs. Yeah, and the, yeah, I've been. And the, yeah. It's it's cool. She's doing that's exciting. That's fun, and it's memorable, and it's you want to. I like, and I think for me, when I grew up, my mom did a great job of taking pictures of the family and places, and I love going to visit my parents and looking at, I'll sit down and, and every day I'm there, I'll flip like from the 1970s and the 1980s and be like, oh, <laughs> I was wearing that before those guys in Brooklyn and it didn't look good in the 80s, but it's fun to look 
go back and look through. And so I think I got that. And it's nice to have those memories. So I think I think you're right. I think it's an interesting point about the reverence and the sort of taking a moment before the meal to to look at it. Do you ever opt out? Are you like, you know what? Let's not go to a restaurant. Let's just steam some cauliflower tonight. <laughs> like, do you ever like? I want a day off. I I we I eat in a lot. Um, partly because it's I got access down the street to Chelsea Market. Um, insane fish at the at the fish market there. Um, there's a lot of fun butchers around. So I like to. I'm I'm quite happy cooking at home, and in fact, a lot of times stay in, cook up. It's not always healthy. It's not always steamed, but it's sort of it's healthier than going out. Um, so it's I like I like cooking a lot. We have people over. I mean, one of the things that's interesting about you uh, is that you know you did grow up in England originally, and a lot of times people think like, wow, the food is grim in England, and now you've, you know, you, you've devoted a, 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 a profession to finding out good food, and uh, you, I mean, is that an overarching, overgeneralized cultural stereotype, or how do you see yourself? I, th I think in the 70s and 80s, early 80s, there wasn't the, I, I, there were great restaurants around. And, and I think it's a very broad generalization, but I think there's probably some truth to that. Um, but I love, I love, I have fond memories of the terrible food that I ate in school, but I love it. I love the crappy meat pie with <laughs> awful peas and baked beans. And I'm, I love it. I'll do it for nostalgia's sake. And there's a piece of my brain that goes, oh, this is great, and this is terrible. <laughs> Do you ever like roll back the tape? Like, if we were to roll back the tape and we found like young Nick Bumstead and we view, and we 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 watched him for a while, would he be asking other people? Like, would he be like, "Would you recommend the chocolate milk here <laughs> or or the two percent?" Like, are, were you? Well, at what point did you know that you had a good like talent for sussing out like other people's recommendations? Or? I don't know. I don't think it was. I don't think I was that young. What do that's you think a, of the peas today? <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know, that kind of stuff where you like <laughs> funny. getting no, chips on. That's really oh, it's Tuesday, Sloppy Joe Day, that's, not to miss. That, that's you know? really funny. I wish I wish I could have that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Standing in line with a tray. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, five guys up. You're like, yeah. hey, Timmy, hey, hey. what's your experience what's so far? The, <laughs> went on with the flapjacks today. Like, good. You recommend the lady with the hairnet <laughs> or the guy with the tattoos? <laughs> you know, like that kind of stuff. No. Um, but uh, so the back to your question about English food, though I think there are. Um, what's interesting is there are guys in London who are now sort of famous, like the guy, like um, the guy at St John Restaurant, sort of brought back the nose to tail. Sure. Which I think, generationally, was probably. I mean, I remember growing up eating, having to eat everything on my plate just because that's the way it was. That's right. Because um, people you know, it, respected it, money and stuff. Exactly. More exactly. Because there wasn't a lot of it around, at least when I was growing up. And But the, he, he's he's brought that back, and, and he's now like one of the revered chefs around the world for, for doing that. And there's old-school restaurants in, in London that just – there's a great place called – and this is a place he recommended. It's called Sweeting's. And they just serve fish, and it's in the sort of financial section. And at lunchtime, it's all these guys in suits, and there's old school waiters who have been there forever. And they serve. Actually, the wine list is decent too. They've got a nice um, 
bottle of Muscadet on the, on the list, and it's really old school. Um, just fish that tell you what's fresh, and it's great. Um, so that's, I think there are some, in, there was, there's always been English food that, that that's great. I think it's just that some of it probably was terrible. And if you were going to London to visit in the 70s and eat like anything, if you don't know where you're going, you just pop into a place. And fub, pub food probably wasn't that great. That's changed around now because pubs have got to try and stay alive like everybody else. Um, so that's probably where that reputation comes from a little bit. Do you think that you kind of um, took that, that broad-based model that, say, say like Zagat would be like ABC or NBC, and then you're like, well, we could have a cable channel for for people super interested in this kind of thing, and we could have, you know, written in recommendations, kind of the same thing, except you put a, a celebrity, uh, you know, a, a chef celebrity person, face to yeah. it, you know, like an expert face right. to it. And you're like putting it to an audience. So do you think that, like, as opposed to trying to, you know, we asked before, like, hey, is everyone a foodie now? But, I mean, obviously, in reality, no, because <laughs> there's 300 million people in, in America. I mean, do you think that you kind of defined the audience and then work towards what they'd want to, to, to know? Or did you look at it more like, I'd like to know, and I don't care who knows? <laughs> like, yeah, it's, 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 it's how we like to travel. Yeah. And I can't understand because that's, it's sort of, you get good food when you travel that way. And I've had less better, less good experiences when you pick a random thing out of a guidebook. That's like a generalized and thing. It's, and, it's, and so I don't, it, for us, it's if, if you trust, you've got to have some level of basis of trust. So obviously people are going to look through and go, oh, I like that guy's food. So that kind of trust, if he went away. now, I'm, And we ask chefs where they, where they go when they travel. And I think from our perspective, it's I don't understand why you wouldn't want to travel that way. Right. It's sort of we've done the homework for you. Assuming you trust the concept, um, so that's where it came about. It wasn't, you know, it was really sort of us pushing our point of view on the on the world. And have you found yourself kind of interconnected with a community of chefs in a way that you didn't even expect? You're like, hey, oh, that person just had a, a baby, or you know, that that person moved there, and you kind of track people's careers a little bit. And some, and some of them were, were friends from the from the get go. Obviously, I've got a connection to the to the wine business, so that. that Still see, still stay somewhat connected to that, and and and, but yeah, we stay, we keep connected. Um, there's a chef that we interviewed from New Orleans who, I mean, it's not the same, but he, he took the app on vacation with with his friend, and they used it in Barcelona, and he wrote us back and was like, "I had a great time, thanks." And so there's a, there is a back and forth, and we follow up with guys and find out what's what's going on, where they're eating, and it's interesting to see different points in time when we interview people sometimes before they right before they hit that cusp of, of getting really famous um, is it easier to get them to reply before <laughs> is that basically what you're saying yeah um, some and some I mean some people are great I mean we yeah. one of the first people we interviewed was was John Besh in New Orleans he's sure got, even at that time he's got like five restaurants X number of kids um, and he got back to us within 24 hours with amazing, amazing answers. And we were like, this is going to be easy. <laughs> yeah, right. This will <laughs> be all the time. Look easy. for another guy with five restaurants and 20 kids. But I think the guys that are really successful, I, th I think part of that is they know how to get things done. So I think that's, that's part of it. Um, and, 
yeah, I mean, chefs are really chefs are really busy people these days. I mean, if if you're not a chef and you're not on TV, you know, that, I think that's become a weird level of success for those guys. But uh, and that's that's part of the reason we like hitting bartenders up for rec- uh, recommendations too, because those guys, um, you know, they're, they're getting sort of some of that fame, but they're not on TV. Bartenders on TV isn't quite as interesting as I think chefs on TV at the moment. So. Yeah, I've seen some YouTube videos where it's like, and then you slice the thing. You're like, There's only oh, so many times not, you can watch someone yeah. shake a cocktail, you know, or, or stir a drink. Um, yeah, if there's no like open flame involved, it seems to take a lot of the drama out. Um, you know what I mean? Um, and I think that that's it, that's part of the thing. I think with wine, I don't you don't see a whole lot of wine on TV because wines are. I think because you can watch someone actually cook and you can see them doing different things. Yes, it's a different bottle of wine in front of the person, but the action of opening and pouring and drinking the wine is going to be the same. Yeah, if I see another headshot with a guy like with his nose in the glass, like, you know, it's like we've done this, right. you know, it's like that, you know, like every novelist for a while or investigative journalist had that pose that they would do for the for the book cover, like yeah. where they put their hand like under, like they'd ball up their, their fist and put it under their chin and look serious at the camera, the you think, know? The thinker look. Yeah, the thinker look. <laughs> like you couldn't not do that pose. And it's, you know, sometimes you're just like, God, yeah. just do anything else but, but the nose and the glass pose, right. you know? Like, you know, look at it or something, you know? Like, you'd be like, oh, look, this is something new I found. It's a decanter. It's, I don't know, anything. It's, weird. Yeah, it's, it's hard. Um, so but at least like cocktail guys got like Mr. Wizard colors they can do and stuff like that. Like then it turns purple. Right. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, though, I mean the bottom line is though it, it's 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 it the interaction on as you said on YouTube it's not the same as sitting in front of a guy. It's sitting at the bar having a conversation. You know what goes well next? Well, you just made me this. I liked it. I hated it. What can I get next? Well, do you think that's because half the job of a bartender is to listen to people complain? <laughs> like, and that doesn't come through in the YouTube thing? <laughs> that's true. You know? That's, like, how was your day? True. Oh, terrible? Oh, okay, well, let me make you a bitter cocktail. <laughs> you know? Like, I mean, that's, that, that's I, I, think, I think there's truth to that. I think bartenders are good, good listeners. Um, and they want to, and I think this is true. I think people put out great food, do it because they want to please people. And I think bartenders want to put out a good product and see that reaction. Um, there's a guy we interviewed in uh, New Orleans. He's sort of a legend, Chris McMillan. And he said, he said, I can, I can judge. I don't actually need verbal response from the person. I can see in the first sip or two of that cocktail whether they like it or not like it. And I can help the next have that conversation based on, on those responses. And to me, that's someone paying attention to not only putting out an amazing cocktail, and, and with, he was one of the first guys sort of doing the, the ingredients and freshly squeezing it and, and understanding that, but also reacting to the customer and understanding what the customer wants, not what I feel like pushing on you because I just made this great cocktail in my head three days ago. And I think the same is true in food, that chefs putting out food that actually legitimately are trying to please the customer as opposed to please some weird creative side in their head or some ego, I think ultimately that comes across. Um, do you, when speaking of customers, do you feel like you're often talking to a certain income level when you're talking to people who read your site? Like in terms of people who are potential customers for this service? Um, probably. I mean, it's definitely people who, 
people can use it in in the city that they're in, and obviously it's it's dining out, so that obviously from a minimum, yes. But and if if they're traveling, obviously that's the cost of travel, so yes. But as I said, that that we recommend the hole in the wall type places, just as actually more often than not. So I th- I think there is probably a. I mean, there's there's those in the industry that get it who probably are making, generally speaking, less money than the guys buying either the wine or the going out. So I think it covers covers both. Um, I think the type of person less uh, income needs to be probably a little more willing to, not always, adventurous is not necessarily the right word, but I think just be willing to try new things or go to new places um, and not the, here's the top five places that everyone always recommends. Although, Interestingly enough, some of those some of those places turn out to be fantastic, um, like Swan Oyster Depot in San Francisco. Everybody loves. If you wait till I know, because I tried it, you go at eleven forty five on a Friday. You're going to wait two hours, and I don't, I hate waiting in line, so I, we we bailed. But we, two days later, on a Tuesday, came back at ten o'clock and had oysters and chowder and crab for mid-morning breakfast and it's those places are amazing i mean they're, they're the reason those places stick around for it's not just the new or the the new hole in the wall it's the place that's been around it's the guy that's been chopping you know noodles in the window of his shop for 20 years or the guy that that's this family-run business like like swan oyster depot that's been cracking crab and oysters for however long they've been doing it do you ever have that like disparity or sense of disparity where you're like, wow, if I was a chef, they would totally style me out at this restaurant. But since I'm not a chef and I'm just this dude, I'm not so happy about this meal. Like, do you ever have that experience? Um, I love going in sort of it, – it's a great experience when the person knows you and you, you we've interviewed him and, we, that, and we're telling him that we're there. But it's also. Do you do that though? Because I feel like you've snuck into restaurants that I've worked uh, in without telling anybody. I've, I've, oh, a lot, I was gonna, I was gonna say a lot of times we, if we, we're thinking about a place or we, someone's recommended it and with it's, we don't know whether we're, what we're gonna do with it. We'll go. I'll, well, a lot of times we'll go in, not announced and just eat at places, um, just because I, I mean it's not like we're reviewing a place and we've got to go in anonymously, but I want to see what. You know, when the chef sends out five dishes on top of the two that you've ordered, <laughs> you're not getting the same experience as going into a place and going, I want the pasta, and you get a shitty table in the back. Right, which can happen. So that's uh, why I'm, I, uh, you know, raise the question. Um, I mean, I like... Because uh, if I was Nick Bumstead, I might get one experience, but a lowly Levy Dalton, you uh, know? I mean, like, I, I would say most of the time we don't sort of pregame it and try and get hooked up. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the time, it's let's just go eat there and so you find th- out what the you think is that like. that gives you a nice like uh, feedback response and your own experience yeah. to to what yeah. these not people we, are recommending. Not that we get to hit every place because yeah, we just can't. And but it's well, when we've gone to places, it's it's validated the experience, and we know that it works. The the trip that we did to Portland, Vancouver, and Seattle, we were talking to some chefs and. They asked us what our itinerary was, and more than one person turned around and said, "How did you come up with that itinerary? That's awesome!" Oh, really? And we were like, "Well, that's what we." Yeah, that's that's, that's what we. <laughs> have I introduced? 
well, <laughs> let me show you my card. Let me reintroduce. <laughs> uh, and that's and that's but that's the exp- we we did the homework. I mean, not everyone's gonna go to that level of of homework. And it was before we had um, actually that was when we were right in the process of starting to develop the app. So we didn't have the app, but we you know we did that we did the homework and it, and it works. Have you found sometimes that places aren't getting recommended? I mean, I wouldn't say all the time here, but are there instances where things are not getting recommended, even though they're technically good restaurants or highly skilled restaurants, because that person is not popular in the chef community? Um. Yeah, I think that I think that happens. I think what happens more often is not to the not when we talk to people. I think general success. At least I see it in in New York, and it's probably true elsewhere. In the general media, it comes with a PR budget for a restaurant, um, and the guy just cranking out really great food on some tiny little place that doesn't have a budget doesn't get found out so much um, and gets not that much attention as they deserve. And that's that we ask. We try and find those guys because those are the guys that I would love to go to that restaurant that's not getting that. As I said, I don't like waiting in line, so I'd love to go to that tiny little place. The guy's nailing it every night, got a cool list, and but no one knows about it. Um, those are the those are the finds that I love because you know you can go there. Um, so what's next for Finey Drink and for Nick Bumstead? Um, continuing to grow the uh, grow the app and, and get it out there and and. And uh, got a couple of ideas that we're trying to, you know, trying to grow the business in a couple of different ways, and hopefully get it cat get it caught on and get people get it get people loving it. Um, just trying to get the get the word out there and talking to a lot of people, and um, just working it through. Well, I uh, appreciate the success that you have because I use the service myself, and I thank you for providing it and i also thank you for being here today thanks for thanks for having me on it's a pleasure it's great nick bumstead of find eat drink a website and also a mobile app uh, which you should download thanks sir thank you all drink to that is hosted and produced by myself levy dalton aaron scala has contributed original pieces editorial assistance has been provided by bill kimsey the show music was performed and composed by rob moose and thomas bartlett show artwork by alicia tanoyan T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.